Hello and welcome to episode 173 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director, producer. And I'm Robbie McCain, director, producer. And this week, we're going to teach you how to make a British indie film, but not just any British indie film. This is a British indie film about snooker, no less. So how do you do that? How do you do that? if you're shooting an international feature film from London to Shanghai. And how do you do that as a first-time producer? Well, what you need to do is get a really fine cast. And also, why not bring in Rutger Hauer in his last ever role? That might work. And beyond that, how do you release a film now during the COVID-19 crisis? Well, you do a good old-fashioned drive-in theatre experience. Oh yes, because today we are talking about the film Break and we are chatting to the team that made it, including Terry Dwyer, Dean Fisher and Michael Elkin, who also directed and wrote Break. All that's to come here on the Filmmakers Podcast. But first, how was last week's episode, Giles? Oh, thank you, Robbie. The two-parter, the mega episode. The Arthur and Merlin bonanza. Wow. <laughs> I <think> it was. Wow. <laughs> The medieval omnibus. <laughs> the medieval omnibus that was uh, the two-parter, the epic all singing, all dancing, Arthur and Merlin inside masterclass making of of how we made uh, Arthur and Merlin Knights of Camelot. So thank you so much to those who did listen to that and all the love that you gave us. Oh my gosh, thank you so much yeah, for that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Thank you. For those who haven't... Had a really good reaction. Yeah, really cool. For those who haven't yet, do jump on and listen to that massive two-parter. They are long but a boy is it worth it you're going to learn so much as you are today as well so do uh, like subscribe and share this podcast with your pals it helps us grow massively now we're going to jump to our interview really quickly but we just wanted to say this week if you can attend the premiere of break which is happening this wednesday tomorrow if you're listening on tuesday when this is released and it's now free to attend in London. Yeah, it's in Brent Cross Shopping Centre, but it's not in the shopping centre, it's outside. It's amazing. They've got comedians, they've got music, it's going to be a full-on event. So, get in your car, give it a clean, obviously, first, and turn up to this drive-in premiere. It's the first of its kind in the UK, and it's free. If you're in London, you need to be there. So get on down. Tickets are free. Where can they get them, Robbie? Breakfilms.co.uk There it is. Get on it. Link to that is in the show notes. So we're going to do shout outs at the end of the show. We start to do this now and it's a much better way of doing it. So look out for your name at the end if you've been amazing this week or last week. And just to let you know, next week's episode is with director Matt Escandy, who tells you all about how to direct Bruce Willis. Yeah, that is right. He's directed him twice and he's on the show next week. So look out for that one. So after the trailer plays, we will speak to the team of Terry, Dean and Michael all about making the movie Break. Check it out. Enjoy this week's Filmmakers Podcast. Everyone in this life is born with at least one talent, a gift. Sadly, most of us will never realise our true potential. Either we're too poor, we were born on the wrong side of the tracks, or maybe we're just unlucky. But the truth is, the only thing holding us back is ourselves. You're dealing class, eh, boy? And for what? 
A week, right? Yeah, sorry, Ash. Good luck. Had the old bill turn the house upside down. You owe me. This is just interest. You still owe five grand. You owe me five grand plus ten percent, and I'll give you eleven days to pay me back. Fancy a game? Who's Vincent Chang? Five years and you know, not hello, Dad. How are you? So what'd you say? Can you match it? Nowadays he's like country. What's the point in having talent if you keep it to yourself? A lucky Spencer. How'd you know my name? I was sent for you. It was a dream you've always wanted to be a superstar. Yes. Do you know about my dreams? I hardly saw you before you was in. You don't know me. Vincent asked if I could play a few frames. Do you know how? I've underestimated you, and I. The writing's on the wall. No smoking, no drinking the night before a match. You need a clear head. Walking out front smoking a big reefer. You're a bad risk. Forget it. Can't wait to drop me. You start taking responsibility for your actions. I think you're better than me. I don't think I'm better than you. I think you're better than you. There's nothing wrong with failing, Spencer. As long as you don't give up without fight. What have I got to do? There's another tournament being held in my hometown. Where's that? Beijing. You ain't gonna win no tournament. You ain't that good. Seriously, so when I get out, I'm gonna start using this. What do I get if I win? Get to play on the pro tour. I want a wager. Me versus him. Five grand. Best of these things in the past. What? And we might not have a future. Go home, Spencer. Sleep it up. You are a waster. You expect me to play in this tournament just because he wants me to win, yeah? It's a pathway to a better life. If you refuse to do this because you're angry at your father, I do not want to know you, Terry. Then you're an idiot. That's how I win. Are we all here? Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello, hey. Giles. Hello, Terry. Hi, Giles. Hello. Hey, Dean. Hey, Michael. Uh, thank you. We're here to talk about Break, this brilliant film. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's got its drive-in premiere. I think it's, it's certainly the first ever drive-in I've heard of in terms of, you know, having its premiere that way. And Break is on July the 22nd, which is pretty much tomorrow for those listening uh, when this first comes out. So how cool is that? How does that feel, first of all? Uh, Dean, start with you. Um, well, I'm probably the most subdued out of all of us. I mean, if you were to Terry that first, it'd be amazing. But um, Let's go Terry then. Terry, yeah, how do no, you feel? Terry, amazing! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we always joke because my glass is always half full and Dean's is always half empty. I don't and know then, how you got that from me. It's so true. So listen, let me introduce the team properly for you. Uh, Michael Elkin, he's the director, writer and a producer and he's been an actor for so long and he's been in films like The Wee Man, the hooligan movies that Lucinda produced, uh, Behind the Line, which is coming out very soon as well. And he made the short film Banshee uh, as a director, which he also starred in as well. Hey, Michael, how you doing, buddy? Hello, Giles. I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I can't wait to get into the details about you of your debut directing uh, a movie as well, and especially one as good as this. I'm really looking forward to that. I also want to introduce you to um, Terry Dwyer. Uh, she produced this film. She has starred in Hollyoaks uh, when she first started out. She's done so much presenting work as well as theatre as well, some incredible theatre shows, movies. She was also in uh, some of the hooligan movies. I think she cast one of those as well uh, with Lucinda and starred in one. She was also in 13 Graves, Cabin 28, and she was in Dean Fisher's first short film. Uh, not his first short film, one of Dean Fisher's short My films. My last one. His last uh, short film, 10 Minutes, um, and I imagine that's where you guys met. So Terry Dwyer, hello. 
welcome to the oh, hello podcast. yeah it was and actually i've known dean for over 20 years now and i always thought he'd give me a job but actually i brought him on board break so he has yet to put me in another film of it unbelievable dean that is shocking i'm really sorry that is shocking behavior you, you should be. Uh, and I'm going to introduce Dean Fisher as well. Um, we met on a feature film that I was in called Night Junkies years ago. And I think it might have been Dean's first feature film as a producer. Yes, it was made for very little and did very well around the world and got um, pirated everywhere. Um, and then he went on to make uh, films such as City Rats, Interview with a Hitman, One Crazy Thing, The Bromley Boys, which he's talked about already, and The Man Inside. And of course, he's the producer of Break along with Terry and Michael. Welcome. Welcome, all three of you amazing people. Thank you. Thank Yay. you, Jess. Yay. Yay. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So let's talk about break. Let's jump straight in in terms of how did it come about? Terry, you said there you brought Dean on. Uh, how did um, you and Michael get together and discuss making this, this really cool film? Well, actually, I think this is good for Michael to tell this tale because it started with Michael 10 years ago and he approached me on Twitter, didn't you, Michael? I, I, I wrote the the script, as Terry says, about 10 years ago, probably longer now, um, and, and basically it was sat in a drawer for a long time while I was still pursuing an acting career. And then at some point, I can't actually tell you exactly when it was, but I decided, it was probably about six years ago, I decided that I'd been writing lots more stuff and I decided that break was something that I wanted to actually pursue and get made. So I started to assemble a little bit of cast to it. I attached Sam Gittins firstly. Mm. Um, and I think Jamie Bamble was also attached at that stage. Um, who's, we lost nice. her because he had other commitments once we eventually went. But um, yeah, I approached Terry with it on Twitter and, and kind of made it sound like it was all really happening and all the finance was in place. <laughs> you do, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. We're yeah. all going. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it, this is the biggest game of lying you've ever known, isn't it? Really? <laughs> isn't it? Um, isn't it? That's the filmmaking world. <laughs> but in a good way. I mean, you have to you have to big yourself up. So you, I love that, that you went out and just went, do you know what? I'm going to approach Terry on Twitter. And that's what's great about social media is you can approach people like Dean, like Terry, like myself, if you want to. Um, so yeah, you just approach her. And Terry, what did you feel by that what, when you got the Twitter? Do you remember? <laughs> I actually thought it was a bit of a crank at first to approach me on Twitter because obviously that's not, you know, we've known each other for a while now, Mike and I. So it's not the normal way. Normally you get it through your agent, don't you? So I was kind mm. of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, look, and I do always try and give every everybody, a, you know, time if, if they go to the effort of approaching me. And it just, and I said, look, give me a few weeks to read it. And it just so happens I had something cancelled, uh, a job cancelled. And so I picked it up pretty much within a couple of days and I just couldn't put it down. It was the, I, I thought the, the narrative really chugged along. I loved all the characters. The, the writing was just really rich and, and I just loved it. And I rang him straight away and went, oh my God, I've got to be in this because I play Kathy in it. And from there on in, um, I, just, I, I just really got on well with Mike. And, you know, we've been through an awful lot together with this film you know a lot of obstacles to overcome so you said to to michael he sent you the script you love it which we'll get back to michael why you wrote it in the first place um but then you at that point you were like okay i want to be in it then did you think actually i could get involved more and start producing well, fun, I'd like to say it was really methodical, but no, it wasn't because I just, Mike and I was just getting on really well and we both had the same vision. And one day he just went, actually, do you, do you fancy producing it? And I thought, 
yeah, well, I'll give it a go. <laughs> I give it a bash. <laughs> yeah, it can't um, be that hard, can it? <laughs> no, God, little did I know. And then I did the most sensible thing ever, uh, which was bring on um, Dean, who I'd known for a long time. And also, Giles, I knew that Dean would teach me to produce and not not just allow me to attach my name as a, produ- a producer. I wanted to learn the ropes. And boy, yeah. <laughs> have I learned the ropes. <laughs> yeah. And isn't that great that you, that you were clever enough to go, look, because you could have gone, I can do this myself and i know certain uh, up-and-coming producers who did no no i won't bring on anyone experience but you did and i think that's very clever well i'm also not i'm not a, a solo rider i love being part of a team and mm-hmm. even in the early days when it was mike and i you know I, honestly we I, straight o'clock eight o'clock in the morning i'd be calling him 11 o'clock at night we were just always available to each other and i, I couldn't imagine being on this journey with anyone else you know we, we 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 do make a good team we've thrown our toys out the pram a few time but we're, but we're all yeah. big enough and ugly enough to be able to kind of uh, be grown-ups about it it's difficult Giles it, it, even though I've been in front of the camera for years and years and years I had no idea how difficult it is being a producer I love it but yeah. all you actors out there please let me know you have no idea <laughs> of the struggle and I, I commend anyone that produces the film it's a miracle that any bloody independent film actually gets made I love that you said that because I started out as an actor and it's the same thing you kind of go well I don't understand why is there issues why can't we shoot then why c-? you know what I mean you just turn up and do your job you hit your mark and try and say your lines and not fall over but yet the producing side I never knew what Dean was doing on Night Junkies I had no idea when we first made that film but now making films and producing movies you see it and you go oh gosh yes i i think every actor should should have an experience on the other side because you have such a respect and overwhelming gratitude at, at what and directors i mean mike's worked equally as hard writing direct i mean when we were in that prep and and the shooting and the post-production i mean mike you tell the tale like you lived it i didn't i mean it was it was time consuming and and painful i guess on on every level wasn't it yeah i mean the, the whole process has been with, with all of that and i think what was quite interesting was when we, we first actually when you did come on board i remember that first moment we, we met in london um, and I think backing up what you said that you thought I could possibly be a crank, I think <laughs> you, you met your mate in the hotel bar beforehand, which is wise. Um, <laughs> when, when you're a backup hand in London, um, yeah. apparently she was a kung fu expert, but I never got to meet her. I think she was waiting to bounce. Yeah, exactly. Should, you know, Just in case. Should I be a nutter? Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'd said to Terry sitting down there, she said, so what's the budget? And I said, well, there isn't none. I said, I've got no money for this. All I've got is two people attached. <laughs> And now you're attached. Wow. That, that was, I, I fooled you. Yeah, yeah. 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 The script it had been written for such a long time. Um, it was it was just the process of, of, of them moving forward and, and with Terry. And once Terry brought Dean on, I was just trying to get everyone there. But it, it took a hell of a long time to get it fully financed and to get it, you know, to the stage that it's at now, as I'm sure any independent filmmaker will tell you. It's, it's such an, as I'm sure you know yourself, it's mm-hmm. such an arduous task. And, and it really is as Terry often says, not for the faint-hearted, this business. No, it's really not. Let's, let's, before we talk about the writing process then, the, why, why you want to do this, let's talk about that, the hardship that is trying to make an independent feature film like this. Dean, when it came to you, what was your impression? Because uh, I remember you telling me about this uh, a while ago, about this project, and I went, that sounds really interesting. What did you do when you, when you got it? What was your first impressions? And also, um, what, how did you go about making it, the three of you, I suppose? When it came to me, obviously it came recommended through Terry, 
I read the script and, and I really liked it. And, and as a producer, you've got to find the material that you think is worth fighting for. And, and I felt there's a lot of heart in this story. And, uh, you know, there was obviously comments. I think anyone that reads the script will have their own take and, mm. and angle what they feel it should be. But, but generally, I just felt it was very strong. And, and, and I always enjoyed working with Terry. You know, we've been friends ever since we worked together. And, you know, it was an opportunity to do something as well with Terry. And then met Michael and, um, you know, got on really well. And I thought, okay. I'm the, I'll, I'll join you guys on this journey. And Can I just say, Dean played hard to get for, to start with, though. He didn't just oh, jump I'm teasing on board. you, is it? Like, <laughs> he did. How much is that? It's just yeah, that you did. I was busy on another project, I think, at the time. <laughs> yeah, and, you were. And, and it was just trying to balance, because the problem is, uh, as a producer, you end up spending so many projects not knowing what's mm. going to get off the ground, and the ones you think are going to get off the ground are not the ones that get off the ground. So at that time, I think I was in the thick of a few projects that could have gone or, or was going so mm. um but so it wasn't i was trying to be particularly i, <laughs> really do, like I love it. it he's defending it now i wasn't <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah i wasn't honest <laughs> and, uh, was. but, but then when, when we sat down and said right we're doing this mm. then what we worked out is how can we elevate this and make it bigger um we knew we couldn't make it for millions because obviously it's a first time writer director so you are limited on how much you can raise for a project like this because you don't want to get to a point where they start questioning Michael and saying, mm -hmm. you, know, uh, you know, you need to get another director if you're going to make it for this money. So we had to structure it in a way that we could elevate the project. And by doing that, it, it's got a backdrop of snooker. It's, you know, it's, it's a Rocky with a snooker cue, essentially. And by um, making a, a film that had snooker as a backdrop, I, I previously made a, a film that had boxing as a backdrop and, and called The Man Inside. And, with that, we went to um, Matchroom at that time um, to, to get access to filming, and they were brilliant. But I felt if we would have gone in there earlier, we could have done so much more with it. So the first thing I said to Terry is, let's see if we can get World Snooker involved, because what that involved was, or what that added to the project, was that we could then get access to the Crucible, um, and, and you know, production values is absolutely huge. Through the roof. Plus, yeah. on top of that, you get access to the players, so we could get genuine, strong cameos. Uh, and then on top of that, you've also got the audience there that's built in with snooker. And you know, Terry, being the way Terry is, within about a day, I think he said, "I've got contact here of, of the the head of marketing." And, and, you know, they were contacted virtually the next day and we were having a meeting with them. I mean, that's a great start. Now you're already thinking, well, we've got that far. Uh, yeah, how do we get the money? Uh, how do we put all that into place? Which is always difficult. We'll come back to that. Um, Michael, let's talk about you writing this then. Why, why this idea? Where did it come from? And just tell us a little bit about the story of Break. Um, the story of Break is semi-autobiographical. It's basically every single character in it is based on a character I, I know or knew uh, growing up. And there might be different ages, like some of the characters that I, even if I just had at the back of my mind, uh, so they're all kind of real. But in terms of the idea, it wasn't necessarily the snooker side of it that first attracted me to writing it. I had this idea in my head about a, a snooker player that had this talent and this gift um, that he was using it in the wrong way. So I had this image in my head of a guy brandishing a snooker cue as a weapon mm. ready to strike someone. And that was born out of the fact that I used to go to a lot of snooker halls in my area at Brixton, Norwood, Tulsa, Herne Hill. There was a lot of um, Crystal Palace. There was a lot of snooker halls around the area. They all closed down over a duration of time. Um, 
for all different reasons. One had a shooting. There was a couple, uh, you know, there was drug dealing in some of them. And there was such an array of characters in these places that I used to go to. And there was one character I remember, a guy that uh, was a very, very good player. And I mean a real talented player that could have turned pro. And he actually, I think the, the rumour had it, I, think, I didn't see it happen, but the rumour had it that he beat Jimmy White at some stage in the club when he came down, you know, a real talented player. But he was basically selling drugs. And right. he was up to stuff that he shouldn't have been doing. And everyone used to say to him, why the hell are you doing that? Why are you not, you know, why don't you turn pro and pursue a career in snooker? And it just seemed that he either enjoyed what he was doing or for whatever reason, he just couldn't get out of it or, or didn't have the, you know, the initiative to get out of it. And that's what first made me think about the story. It was, it was chatting with a mate about that that made me think, okay, that's an interesting idea. And I just sat down and literally off the top of my head wrote about 10 pages of the opening which is quite often for me writing process wise is, is how it starts i write an opening of about 10 pages then i might sit it aside and then i'll structure the rest of it like the beginning the middle the end and, mm -hmm. and then basically piece the pieces together but i always think it's quite nice to have a, an opening and an idea of what the character is so i just if i have that idea rather than let it be forgotten or let it go by the wayside i just act on it straight away even if i've got nowhere to go yet i just get that bit down and then I can revisit it later on, and then ideas start to, to come from that. So that mm -hmm. was really how the, the, the script was, was born. But a lot of the other characters, I don't want to give too much away, but the father-son relationship and stuff like that was loosely based on my own relationship, certain elements of it. Um, I, I can't say too much about that because it will give, give too much of the, yeah, the, sure. of the film away, but... Yeah, no, that's great. And I think it's really important for writers to uh, touch on their own, you know, experiences, because how can you not, you know, it's, it's just part of you, you're going to write from those experiences, even if you know nothing about, you know, gang gangland killings, or a drag queen race, or whatever it is, if you know nothing about that, then it doesn't mean you can't write about it, it doesn't mean you can't do that, or write for women, or whatever it is, yeah, or, or men in the other way around. Yeah, I mean, to be honest as well, though, some of the characters, I'll say, even, even the story, it, it wouldn't all be me. Some of it would be like, oh, well, I remember someone that did this. So, mm -hmm. you know, it wouldn't necessarily be all my experiences. Some of it would be stories I've heard from other people over the years that I'd, that I'd put in and go, I remember that happening. Or, you know, with, with any script, you, you, you just draw on whatever you know or what you've you heard. Yeah. And it, was this the first script like this, a feature that you'd written or had you had a few uh, floating around before that? No, I had actually had a few floating about. I, I first wrote a thing a long time ago about corruption in football um, mm -hmm. with agencies and all that. And we were speaking to the FA and people. Was, I was approached by somebody who knew I was acting and said, a friend of his had just started up a production company and they had a script and try and get a part in it. So I said, yeah, I'd love a part. And it introduced me. Sure. Went down and met the guy that had set it up. And when I read the script, he asked me what I thought of it. And I said, it's okay. I said, but it just seems a little bit like somebody very, very middle class has written it. So yeah. and, it, and it's a very working class script and he said well why don't you have a go and i had been scribbling down little scripts and stuff anyway just as a hobby mm -hmm. and i sent him a couple of things that i've written and he went i really love the way you write do it and he ended up paying me to rewrite the script which today is unproduced but um I but still you you got paid to write a script that's an amazing thing to happen right i mean hey every, every writer out there is going they want to be paid for their work because we do spend a lot of time writing spec stuff you have no idea if anything's going to get made and you just write and write and spend a lot of time and dedication doing it and how long did you it take you to write break then was it kind of once you'd like like you said you got the first 10 15 pages then you'd structured it how long then before you felt it was strong enough to send to terry well, all in all, from start to finish, I think the, the, the whole script took about eight months because, I mean, it was, I was writing between all sorts of different things, different working and, all, you know, ordinary jobs. And um, I think that the strongest part was I was left on my own in a, in a place for about two weeks. 
And I thought, well, I really must work and, and use this time. Well, I'm on my own. I've got no one here. I've got a place to myself. Mm. And I think in that two weeks, I must have done about 40 pages and basically completed it. And it was such a lovely feeling type in the end. But it, it wasn't a solid write. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. There's, but it doesn't matter. There's no matter. better feeling when you yeah. type that. And, it's, oh, it is, and yeah. you read it back as well and go, actually, this is good. Yeah, there's certain scenes you go, actually, that's all right. Scenes you thought were terrible or weren't going to work because you just bash through them are actually okay. And I, I love writing the I love getting to the end of a first draft because then at least you've got something tangible, something you could send to a mate and they could read it. And at least you know you've got something. It's, it's a story then. Absolutely. So well done for even doing that. I think any, any writer who gets to write a script and finish it is... It's well done it's a it's a miracle to do that so okay so then so eight months are gone you send it to terry terry then sends it to dean you all meet up and you all go yeah let's do this how did you do it how did you actually get break to be in drive-in cinemas in, in terms of the, the usual thing where you try and structure your your project so budget first of all because you could sort of pick any number you, you know in terms of budgeting a movie you can did you sort of go well we're probably going for around this figure because we want a couple of names is is that the kind of thing you think about when you're budgeting yeah yeah i think you have different targets i mean sometimes you say right i want to make it for about half a million it might go up it might go down mm-hmm. depending on on you know where things go and and, and this evolved a bit more um, because we also added other elements Part of the story was to go to Beijing as well. So it was just yeah. trying to structure all of that in there. So we put together a budget, which at that point is what I call a financing budget. It's not a finessed one because the script's going to change a hundred times between now and, you know, when you're shooting. Um, so, so we did a financing budget. We put together a document um, with all the elements um, and then quite a few casts were on board at that point so we put together you know the package we had and then we went out for more names as well and just built that package up and then that was ready to to then start shopping around and and then it's like a fishing exercise um you know how uh, i know terry said how any film's made is a miracle and it, it generally is because you're basically chucking out the bait which is your synopsis that you're sending to loads of people and you're emailing it via Shenando or, or, or whatever way you, you get your contacts from. And then you hit everyone until someone comes back and says, yeah, I'd like to look at that. And then from there, you obviously you grab, grab that and, 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 and try and pull it in. Um, I, I don't know if there's a, a better analogy or a way of explaining it, but there's no real method in the madness, you know, and sometimes it's a distributor, sometimes it's a financier and, this film could have been made a few times over before we actually did go into production. You know, the finance collapsed um, and, and was, was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and then you have to pick yourself up and find another way. And I, I mean, Terry will tell you more because she was very instrumental in, in, in getting contacts in as well and, and, and just pulling on all the people that she knew um, from her world. And it could be that you know someone that, got money and, and, and wants to have a punt on the film and, and I don't know how many investors we ended up with on this but there's there's quite a lot there's probably about 40 is there I think it's 30 37 
37 investors uh boys and girls that shows you how much uh, paperwork would be involved anyway just in that let alone if you just had one investor imagine 37 uh, and also trying to piece all that together who comes out first which means basically who gets paid first does someone want more if they come in last they can sometimes ask for more money uh let's talk through that then 37 investors how did you go about it do you, you're obviously doing your your pitch decks and your business plans terry did you do a lot of this? Um, Michael and I um, probably pushed the raising the money along initially. Dean was um, juggling quite a few projects and we all have very different skill sets, which is why it works. I'm a you know, people's person and um, yeah, as Dean said, you know, we were tapping into people. We also had um, Warrior behind us, uh, um, mm. Jeff, who, who helped enormously in, in pulling the finance you know, different elements of the finance together for us. But that's when Mike and I, I mean, we were literally on the phone, what, Mike, three or four times a day, just going, how are we? Where are we up to? Easily, what yeah. do we do? Uh, and and it, it, it was it was a bit like, I, I can't even describe it. I've never been through anything like it because you're slowly watching the bank account go up. And there's a, there's a particular point in, in raising the money where you, you need a certain amount to be greenlit. I mean, Dean very rightly said, we are not going until we get to the, we have enough money that we can get to the end of the production. And a couple of times, Mike, Mike and I were like, can we go yet? Can we go yet? We were like two <laughs> naughty children. And Dean was like, no, we need to make sure we can get to the end of the shoot. Um, but I remember really clearly when we actually green lit and I was away at the time so we actually went into what uh, we call pre-pre-production mm -hmm. when I was away so all of a sudden we were like we green lit oh my god right we've got loads to do so you, you don't ever have time to enjoy this is what I went back to saying Giles you you know we got through pulling it all the finance together then you're in production and then you're in post-production and then you, there's just I, I really hope with the premiere looming that there's a moment that we can stand back and go wow you know wow what what an amazing feat we have overcome because actually I'm, I'm not gonna lie you know the the collapsing of the money and all other hurdles that we've had to overcome and now we're releasing in the middle of a pandemic I mean I think there's a film about making this film and, and yes. Dean said you know every film has its problems as a producer but if I could if I can cope with what's been thrown at us during this process then you know everything else should be relatively normal it should be that's it is fascinating so what, what happened when it fell down because I think a lot of our listeners will be fascinated to know how close you got and why if you can even say if you can't it's fine but why it fell down yeah, we, were, we were three weeks into pre-production and about 10 days from principal photography and days from shooting wow. yeah but for whatever reason it fell out of bed but can I just say it was obviously fate because the thing with break is every time some disaster happens we come back stronger and better so whatever outfit that whatever dress we were putting on at that time it was not the right fit and we now have a ball we gown on, on. Dress, so I don't know Michael, but. <laughs> yeah. but that you know we managed to rebuild ourselves and we did come back bigger and better and even within the pandemic not to be frivolous about how difficult it is out there I still you know we're doing the first ever drive drive-in premiere mm. you know mm -hmm. that's something to be really proud of and and the press have really got behind it I mean you know we were on Sky News practically all weekend long 
last weekend. Would that have happened if we were just doing another West End premiere? I'm not sure it would. So, yeah. you know, we, despite everything that we, we have been presented with, we have tried to, you know, roll with it, adapt, change, which I think is the, the key lesson for me during this journey is you, you've, you've got to be movable and, you, and you've got to be able to think on your feet and adapt and, 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 and get around the obstacles of which, like I said, there's been plenty. <laughs> just on the financing as well, um, the, the thing is we went to a broker to, to raise part of the finance. I know we had individuals, but when you have to pay out a commission to someone to raise finance, then there's an added pressure as a filmmaker and, and, and any person that's, that raises money because you have to make the film come what may um, mm -hmm. because, you know, the brokers will take their fees, but then they will never take them back if the film doesn't happen. Right. So you, you are on the hook from that point. So there's a pressure to, to get enough finance to, to um, make the film. Um, and obviously if we didn't raise all the money, then we'd had to scale it back in some way. But, but the way this kind of worked out, part of the production was to shoot at the crucible and hmm. we hadn't had all the finance in place, but, but I said, it makes sense. We're committed now, um, but we might as well go ahead and, and shoot the crucible because it only comes around once a year. And then that really helped raise the rest of the finance. Cause then we cut a video of yeah. that shoot. Um, and then that went out to investors and that gave them the confidence to show that this is actually was a bit more better than the average type of film that they probably um, received. And, and I think that really helped us get over the line. That's incredible. And just so people know, The Crucible is a, a very famous hall in Sheffield that they use for the final of the snooker tournaments um, and do a lot of other things there. But that is mainly known for snooker, uh, the big final. So, Michael, how did that feel for you then to shoot a part of your, the movie? And also, did, did you learn from doing that? Because, again, you've got real people, you've got real snooker players and you've got real crowds and you've got probably very little time to get in and get your shots. Yeah, we didn't. Well, the thing is, because we'd, the, the finance had already fallen through at one stage, and I'd spent so much time with uh, Richard Swingle, my uh, cinematographer, mm, um, going through shots and everything else. Richard's great. He really is fantastic. He's great to work with as well. Um, but yeah, we, we, we'd gone through so much stuff. So we kind of had everything down and I'd storyboarded pretty much everything. So um, when we got to the cruise, well, I think it was literally the fact that we had time against us because we had time in the morning before the tournament actually started. Um, right where we had to shoot all that stuff in the dressing room before they went, right, you've got to get out now. So we were against it time-wise. We had to move quickly. Um, and we did, I think, a lot of the stuff there, we tried, I spoke to Richard on the, the run-up to it about making it as economical as we could mm -hmm. to, to, to shoot quickly um, without too much setup, too much preparation. Um, there'd be a little bit of tracking and stuff like that, but most of it would be, you know, using a jib. I think we actually got a gimbal. Um, nice. Okay. So at least you could get in and out yeah. and so move quite we, quickly. Um, okay. Yeah, but we weren't allowed to go too near the table because it's a championship table. Um, right. It's like playing on the turf at Wembley before, uh, you know, an FA Yeah, Cup you're not allowed on the pitch. I've tried. Believe no, me, I've tried. And obviously, yeah, the Crucible is, you know, it's it's snooker's Wembley. Um, the other yeah. thing I was going to say on yeah, that. Yeah, Sorry, Michael. Well, I was just going to say that the venue was empty. So. Oh, was it? Yeah, when we got there, it was an empty room, so we, we could place some extras behind the shots, but then we obviously wanted some wide establishing shots yeah. to show the crowd and the magnitude, so we actually managed to have a locked-off camera and get our actors coming in, 
um, you know, to an empty arena and then kept that shot locked off. And then when the real players came in for the actual tournament, then you had the real crowd going crazy and then obviously merged those two together. So no one knows any different. So you'd shot that bit, um, which is great. And then you could send it to your investors and your package. What was the best way, uh, Michael and Terry, probably best to answer this at this point, that you approached the investors? And what was it you said? What worked and what didn't? Because we've got so many people out there who are trying to approach investors right now. What do you feel is a good approach? Um, I think I think it's got to start with a really enticing deck. You know, they want to be reassured that there's some good names in there that people are going to recognize to be able to get them their money back. Also, with something like Break, it was kind of perhaps tapping into people that might like snooker. Mm-hmm. And also, sometimes there are some people in, in certain jobs that actually just want to have a little punt on it because they want to have an experience of a different a different world. Um, some of our investors are so far removed from the world that they've invested in. They loved, you know, they came down to set. We showed them around the set. And we spent time with them. Um, they, they came to a private cast and crew screening, which we held. And I think they just really enjoy the whole experience. Some other investors, they're in it for the money and um, they looked at it as a, a high-risk business opportunity. Um, and, but they're very different investors involved in Break. Um, I don't know if, Michael, do, would you have anything to add to that? You know them probably as well as I do. Uh, no, not really. I think, as you say, that the, the thing is the deck really and then believing in, the, in the, uh, the project. I mean, I did have to do a fair bit of, you know, we, we went and we shot a video, didn't we, where we sat on camera yeah. and basically laid out the, what we were trying to achieve with the film and everything else. And as Dean said, the, certainly having the crucible um, stuff was a great a tool to go out with to entice investors and, and have it. And once we had some actors attached as well, so that helps. I think the key thing is trying to get some recognizable cast because then you're offering an investor, a potential investor, something very tangible. Um, you're saying, you know, we've got these actors committed to this project. We're committed as a team. And, you know, you're not just putting, you know, it is a high risk. Let's not beat around the bush. Any film investment is very high risk. Um, and I think I would be one of the first to say that to anybody who's looking to put money into film. Um, but I think, as Terry said, the experience for some of them was something they just wanted to be a part of. If you've got surplus cash and you think, OK, well, I invest in properties, I invest in this business, you know, stocks and shares here and there. I'll have a little go in film and see what happens there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about spreading the, the risk, I suppose. Yeah. And and they, they really enjoy telling their mates on the golf course or wherever it is at the fancy dinners. Oh, I've just invested in this movie. I went on set. It was cool. I'm going to a drive in premiere. It does sound great. And I think that's one thing for filmmakers out there to tap into is that it is a cool business. People like to be on set. People think it's very glamorous. We all know it's not at all. Um, but they think it is. And that's what you do. It's you're selling this whole impression of it. Um, let's talk about cast then, because you mentioned about uh, how important it is to get a decent cast when you are pitching, or at least try. Your cast is incredible. You know, Sam Gittings, who is fantastic, who I saw first in Await Further Instructions. He's also in Behind the Line, which is coming out very soon, Lucinda Rose uh, Thackeray's film. We spent some time together on that, actually, because I was in that as an actor. Um, yeah, you were. Sam, it was nice to finish directing him in break and then doing a film together where we were staying together, four of us all, all in a, lodgings having a, a lovely time. That must have been so weird, right? Because you're going from being the captain of the ship in a way to suddenly going, hello, mate. And he's going, no, 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 I don't trust you. <laughs> no, but to be honest, I had known Sam for a while and he was the very first person that was ever attached to the project. Um, right. I think I mentioned it to Sam pretty much about two years after I'd written it. Um, I was talking to him one day and, and, and said, you know what? I said, you'd be perfect for um, a film that I've written. 
And yeah. at that stage, I had no idea if I was ever going to make it, but it, it, I knew at some stage it had to be made because I'd written it. Right. Um, yeah, sure. So I think when, when I eventually, just before I, before I even contacted Terry, I phoned Sam and said, right, do you want to look at this script that I mentioned to you? Sent it to him. He loved it and said, yes, I'd love to play that role. So he was the first on board. And I knew that he'd done a thing called The Smoke with Jamie Bamber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I knew, and I like Jamie Bamber as an actor as well. He's, he's a great, and I've spoken to him a few times on family and then emails and stuff. He's a lovely guy. And I said to Sam, can you get this script to Jamie Bamber um, and see what he thinks of it? See if we can get him on board. So basically using Sam's connection with Jamie, mm-hmm. um, I then got it to him. He, he said, yes, got on board. Then I think it was, was um, it went out to Jamie Foreman as well. And then I contacted Terry, as you know, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally it was a lot of people that, that I knew could act as well in, in some of the lesser roles, like Charlie Wernham, yeah. Fairbrass, Scott Peden, who I've worked with in The Wee Man. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of assembling a team of, of, of friends. Um, I think Adam came via, Adam Deacon via Dean, because they've worked together on, on projects and Dean knows, you know, they're good friends. Um, yep. And Terry, I think, suggested when we were doing the casting process of Shelley, um, we were looking at lots of different actresses and Terry suggested that we see um, Sophie, Sophie Stevens, who is absolutely fantastic. I'm sure you'll agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, seen the film. Yeah. Yeah. She's very good. A brilliant talent. And you've got David Yip and then obviously you've got Terry in there as well, smashing it. And then you've got Luke Mabley, who's uh, amazing. Uh, Ethan Hazard, who's actually in The Dare, m- my movie. Uh, and then you've got David Yip as well as Joe Egan, who is in Knights of Camelot, which is all connected. Uh, and then you've got the fantastic Rutger Hauer. Um, so you had this, it's a really solid, amazing cast. I think anyone would be happy to have this cast. I mean, it must've felt great for you, Michael, to be going right now. I've got to direct these people. And you know, it's your first feature film and suddenly you've got this amazing cast and you're, you're directing someone amazing like Rutger Hauer. How did you approach that? How did you say, all right, uh, it's my debut movie and I've got to get my shit together. What did you do? Um, to be honest, I, I don't think there was ever any, issues or problems for me about because I've come from an acting background I was never worried about directing the actors and telling them what I wanted and sometimes mm-hmm. it's kind of organic the stuff's on the page so they'll do it and I'll watch it and then see what I think works what doesn't work and then go in but I'm certainly I wasn't afraid even with Rutger to go in and say no I'd like this or that and you know and he was very amiable with Rutger I mean I, we got on really really well so there wasn't any issues for me in that sense to be honest I don't th- I think there was probably a moment where I thought oh my god right I've got to go in there and you know tell Rutger Howell what I want um, what <laughs> yeah. if he doesn't like it what, what if he's what if he's an arsehole yeah, um, totally you know which which he wasn't. He was a lovely guy. Oh, so good. I'm glad you said that, that then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it was good. And then a lot of it, as I say, a lot of it was on the page. It, it was, and you do, you do step in and you, you say what you want and you let, 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 I think it's always nice to let the actor do what they want to do at some stage as well. So you've got a variation there and, um, but I'm right. And I tend to go with what I wanted. Yeah, of course you are. Of course you are. No, no. <laughs> as well, Joel, because Michael is an actor, the dialogue was really strong. Mm. And I think the actors really appreciated that and, and loved that. And it probably it helps Michael having great actors around him. But then if it's not there on the page, you know, it makes the actor's job a lot harder. So I think it was a good combination of really well-written dialogue 
and great actors and, and and that's why we've got such magical performances out of everyone yeah agreed it sounds like michael you took it to a like a duck to water which is incredible to hear and you've made an amazing movie so it, it makes sense to me why that would be the case let's talk about to all of you then about the nuts and bolts of actually making a movie like this the ins and outs the process the day on day terry we'll start with you in terms of how was it for you like you said earlier how difficult it was producing a movie and you didn't know all these things what surprised you the most and what did you learn from the process oh that's a good question i feel like i have been on such a steep learning curve i don't think i can actually really verbalize it i i feel like i'm a different person in terms of a producer i met in the first um incarnation of this when we were in pre-production I kind of sulked into the production office and kind of like sat down quietly and went yeah yeah I'm a producer but I don't really know what I'm doing whereas now I'm like yes I'm the other producer <laughs> and I've weathered a few storms and I've earned my place here mm-hmm. um, so uh, what have I learned everything I suppose Dean <clears throat> didn't miss a beat in teaching me he's been very gracious um, he loops me into absolutely everything so there's nothing about the shoot that I don't I don't really know what's going on we, and because we went through some difficult times um, you know through adversity you, you grow the most I mean the December after the shoot Dean and I sat in the office and had to pour over every single receipt so actually in accounting department I know exactly what I'm doing you know um we I I think the the thing I've overwhelmingly learned the most is how difficult it is um it's about managing people and expectations um it's overcoming obstacles which I really enjoy doing you know it's problem solving um and also just not to be too sensitive which um as actors, we leave ourselves open to be sensitive because that's how we channel all the different emotions that we have to that we have to channel. And I've le- I've had to learn, and still am learning, to have thicker skin and not take everything so personally. But I think that's where Dean and I complement each other because he's you know had a, he's got a bit of skin in the game. So on, on on scenarios where I might be a bit more affected, he's just very level-headed. I do love it though, and I love. I love being responsible for the final product, which is exactly why I started producing. I produced um, a couple of things before this. And it was because, Jazz, I got fed up of seeing the final cut or standing backstage thinking, oh, this could be so much better if, and instead of moaning about it, which is what actors tend to do, sorry, all you actors out there, um, <laughs> I decided to take, uh, you know, the, the, the destiny in my own hands and I've been certainly a lot happier since doing that I think the the industry's changed a lot now and I think people that can go out and just be a director or just be an actor are really incredibly lucky I think Mm -hmm. we have to diversify we have to learn to do new areas of the business if you want to keep working Um, and I think after COVID it's going to be even tougher so um, it's been a wonderful learning curve I, I feel an overwhelming responsibility to as, as I think you um, touched on this earlier and I know Mike has felt this massively because at the end of the day Dean and I are the producers but it's Mike's name above the door yeah, so sure. um, you know I, I, we all feel overwhelming responsibility to make our investors their money back because you know second time round we want them to have a good time and come back to us so of course you do yeah you want to continue that relationship with them right it's ongoing yeah. it's and so I want important. the public to love what we've done we've mm-hmm. all 
God, bar give a kidney. I'm not sure what else we could have done for this project. So I hope that they see everything that we've seen in this project and love it as much as we do. You know, I'm nervous about the premiere. All of a sudden, this baby that we've been nurturing and and, and cleaning and, and, and feeding. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. now we've got to let it out into the big wide world. It's like being a mum, isn't it? You've, mm-hmm. got to, you've got to let your child go and hope that it, it makes its way in the world in the way that you want it to. Well, that's an analogy I always use. I mean, as a producer, mm-hmm. you are the parent of the project. You are, mm. you know, from conception, which in, in this case, Michael was the parent. Um, but, mm-hmm. but we, you know, as parents, you are there through every stage and where things fall, uh, fall down, you're there to pick it up and, and, and see it through its whole journey. And it, it doesn't stop when the film's finished. Then, you know, we decided that we were going to self-distribute on this one, um, which is, you know, it's a big undertaking. Um, yeah. You know, with... The, the pandemic, we were originally going to uh, be going out on the 22nd of um, April or something like that and, and had to pull it because we had no choice. There's no cinemas open. So, so you're always having to find ways of, of, of keeping your child you know, on the straight and narrow, and, and that's what we're doing now. So now, obviously, we've got the release. We'll be with this project throughout its whole life until there's – there's no returns or, or, or it gets shut down. Absolutely. I love it. Um, July the 22nd, you said, is the first um, uh, drive-through. What's happening next with it? What, what other venues you've got? You've mentioned there might be some more. We've got um, the 22nd is, is the premiere, and that's our, our launch pad. Yeah. And then we're trying to secure other locations. Um, I'm hoping by the time this is out that we would have Sheffield confirmed for the 1st and 2nd of August. Mm-hmm. And that would be at the Don Valley Bowl. Um, there's a lot of paperwork and uh, legislation and things you have to go through because essentially because there's no cinemas that we really can play in. I know there's cinemas open, but they're going to be full of studio films and there's no room for an independent film like ours. So we had no choice but create our own cinema. Um, so, so the first and second will be at the Don Valley Bowl and then hopefully we're going to be after that in Cheltenham, um, and then Hexham, which is near Newcastle, and then Newton Abbott. And there's negotiation for other venues as well. But it's a big commitment because we'll be playing break, but we'll also be playing a few family films as well to try and counterbalance the risk of putting on one of these events because obviously there's a whole infrastructure we have to bring in and Mm -hmm. create this cinema. Yeah. And because you also break, there's DJs there and stuff like that, there's comedians and stuff. So it's a whole event that you're setting up as well. It's not just the film, which is which is really interesting. I think you mentioned there about self distribution. Uh, so you're so the people don't, at home understand is you're not giving it to a traditional sales agent or a distributor and letting them go. Cool, well we'll do what we want with it. You're doing that yourselves. Talk us through that and why that decision. Well, it's a bit. Of, we we still have a sales agent on board um, for for certain territories, um, and and I'm, although I go to every market, I don't know everyone as the same as what a sales agent will, um, and have those relationships which are nurtured over the years. So the, the sales agent we've gone with has given us a deal which I think is really fair and and is not stacked against the filmmaker um, because most deals with sales agencies they make all the money up front and then if there's any money left over then that comes back to the filmmaker and I think it's a terrible deal um, so yeah. I've always been reluctant to jump in with, with sales agents because of that but 
but the company we're working with is, is, is very fair in terms of what they're, they're offering us. But in terms of UK distribution, if you don't get it underway with a major studio, then you, you have to work out, is anyone else going to put the same effort as you into the release of this film? It's taken, you know, Michael's been on this journey for 10 years. You don't want to just, at the end of that 10 years, give it to a small company. You see a few posters up in, in H&B and, and that's it, it's gone. Um, and it's just another title that, that no one really heard about. So we, we've got investors' money. We want to make the most of that um, and, and try and pay them back in some way. So self-distribution means that all our efforts we put in will hopefully translate to a better return for our investors and more um, revenue returns. So we're cutting out a lot of the middle people by doing that. So. With the drive-ins, you know, we are putting on the events ourselves. Um, we receive all the ticket revenue, but then obviously we've got costs that we have to uh, balance out for those events. But but it, it's worth it because it, the, the splits are a lot stronger than what you get in the cinema. Then the home entertainment, we don't have the same relationships with all the uh, supermarkets, so we still need to go to other people that do have that. And in this case, we're working with Trinity who have the relationships with the supermarkets and also, um, you know, the output deals of iTunes and everywhere else. Um, so, so it's a balancing act. So we're, we're bringing in different people in their expertise to help service the release. Great. I, thank you for explaining that. Yeah, and I think that's, I think it's a way to go. I think a lot of filmmakers are going to start doing that from now on. But do go uh, follow the guys and support them massively. And hey, if you want to go to the drive-in on the 22nd, I will be there. Then come say hello from your um, car, because that's as far as close as most of us are going to get to each other uh, on the day. Um, uh, Terry, I, I'd love to ask you, how was it then? Because obviously you produced it and you're heavily involved in this production, but you're also in it. How do you juggle the two? Because sometimes that's not easy and you're in it a lot. You're in a lot of the movie, which is, it's a brilliant movie, by the way. And it's a brilliant performance. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It, well, it's a supporting role. I, I certainly couldn't produce a movie if I was in Sam's role, which is our young lead. Um, mm. You know, I'm not greedy. I, I, I think it, for my first outing, that's as much as I could do. But certainly we just had a deal when I was acting, I was not producing and I just took that hat off. I, I learned to um, my peril really when I was I produced my first uh, play in London, and I was on stage. and And you just can't you can't be thinking about anything else other than acting when you're acting. There's just no room in your body to have those kind of that kind of subtext going on. So um, it, it, I've got a lot better at taking one hat off and putting another one on. Um, and, and actually quite a lot of my sh stuff was shotting in a few days. So I could really concentrate on the acting side of it. I do enjoy, I really enjoy producing stuff that I'm in. I don't know if I'd ever produce something if I was the lead in it. I, I'd have mm. to be a lot more weathered as a producer. Um, but as Dean or one of us has mentioned before, every producing job means you're constantly overcoming hurdles so 
you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. I mean, now we're working from dawn till dusk. I mean, poor Dean, I spoke to him yesterday and he sounded absolutely exhausted. And he didn't say, <laughs> I'm exhausted. But I could just hear it in his voice. Mm-hmm. And last night I thought, right, I'm not going to bother him. And so I left him. And then 11 o'clock he's going, what do you think of this interview? <laughs> so all that time <laughs> he was still working. Um, but I think, I think you can't be in this job unless you're prepared to work really, Really, really hard. I mean, I've been up since six. We worked, well, Dean works later than I do, and I probably start earlier than he does. So we have slightly different body clocks because of. I'm on um, 9 a.m. to 1.30 a.m. Yeah, well, I don't, but I still work very long hours. Um, But, you know, acting compared to producing. Oh, it's not dazzle, even a comparison. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, obviously, emotionally, if you're spending all day being beaten up or crying. It's really And that's hard, just yeah. working with Dean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, brilliant. It's emotionally draining, isn't it, as an, act, yeah. as an actor? It's, it is. You it's not to put can... the acting down. Of course, no, it's really, really no. hard. If you're covered in blood or you've got to do a fight scene or you've got to do an emotional scene, it's really hard. We get that. Yeah, um, it's just, it's a different kind of hard. Yes. It, you know, acting's a very emotional emotional thing whereas I think with producing it it's a real mental brain ache mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they're, they're not comparable really but I've loved it and I'm really keen to set this baby on its way and, and crack on to the next one <laughs> amazing amazing even through all the pain of giving birth you're like nope I'm doing it again yeah. just one other thing to, to add which I know we haven't mentioned the story um, part of the story was to go to Beijing yes um, and, um, and the reason being is because obviously when you look at your project, you're trying to see where your key markets could be. And snooker in China is actually huge. You know, it, it, people play it at school level and it's part of the curriculum at school. Wow. Okay. Um, so we felt we had to add some sort of element in this film um, that, that works obviously for the story. And that's where Michael was really good because, you know, we'd say, you know, how can we fit... Um, this in because we've had loads of other cameos of, of snooker players and each one he's managed to place them in the story without feeling too bolted on um, yeah. but with the Beijing element again it really works well for the story and it, it actually enhances it so much mm-hmm. but it also helps tap into that market you know we've got a Chinese snooker star in there um, we, we mixed it in with some good Chinese actors like David Yip um, and um, David yeah, David Chun Chung, and, and it was a balancing act, really. So, so it felt that it, it was in the right place. It wasn't just saying, you know, China's a great market. Let's just make this about um, China. This film, because you know, Michael wasn't going to be making an advertisement for China. Mm-hmm. He was trying to make a, a genuine hard story. Uh, so, a good, strong story. But the Chinese element um, really works and I think enhances it. Yeah, totally. I think that's a very clever thing. And I think filmmakers should think like that. You've got to think outside the box. Who is your audience? It's something I bang on about all the time. But who is the audience? Things actually, that was one of the key things script-wise that did change because Dean suggested the China thing. So location-wise, as he said, I did have to rewrite that a little bit and say, okay, so we're going to China. How the hell are we going to get there? And what's going to, you know, and mm-hmm. it was a little bit tricky, but it, it didn't feel too... Um, Not at all. It worked brilliantly watching it. I love that he went there and that that's what was part of the story. I thought it was great. I thought that was part of the story. You'd written that in the first place. So it didn't feel like it was new or in any way not part of the story. In the early drafts, I think I had one where it went to America, and then we ended up in Bristol. Um, of course, <laughs> um, why wouldn't you? Yeah, it was where a lot of the Q school stuff was taken. And as I say, then Dean said, "No, no, let's. Let, you need to say it in China." How was it shooting there? How did you get away with it? It, it was a, a 
really tough shoot um, being in Beijing because you, you know, we, we tried to do the minimum we could there. Mm -hmm. So most of the locations interior-wise were done in the UK and yeah. dressed as China because it made sense. And, you know, what I did want to do is a massive production in China because I think it would have cost too much. Then we would have had got the Chinese government involved and, and then you go through a whole political game with it and, and it just didn't make sense so the idea was to go as small unit as possible yeah um, yeah. um you know we, we still got a servicing company involved in china that could help and give us access to all the locations because obviously we don't speak mandarin um and but then they we, we told them roughly the types of locations and then they came back with loads of suggestions um did a very extensive recce when we got over to beijing and, and looked at all the different areas of where we could film and then structured it around that. Um, and then afterwards, we um, basically, um, you know, just shot for a very long day. I think it was about 20 hours. We, we wow. Um, wow. And, okay. And it but was because the crew obviously didn't speak the language, but the DP and his crew, I, I think he was asking them to set up something or, or get um, a... Uh, a light and, and the time it turned up we'd already shot the scene um, <laughs> you know, we just had to find ways of keeping going and, and, and keep so um, but the servicing company we worked with were very good but it was just that that language barrier so the idea was to keep it simple mm -hmm. um, small crew um, mainly just the actors um, and that was it it gives it a, a, a bigger feel it made the production values amazing what I really loved as well was the production design throughout this whole movie I thought the way it was shot and looked just really high end and well done to all the team for doing that whoever your production designer was I think it's a really great movie I've really enjoyed it I'm looking forward to seeing it again um, so yeah well done I mean yeah really oh, well, thanks, well done thanks thank Pleasure. you so I think everyone done. else thinks that too I'm sure they will because why wouldn't they you know now they know how much effort and hard work's gone in as well it might uh might even push the boat up further but yeah J july the 22nd come along to the drive-in why not um if you're in london come along and then obviously as dean will announce some other venues as well um i can't thank you guys enough for spending your time uh, with us on the filmmakers podcast well, thank, thank you so you. much Bill. yeah Really? And I look forward to meeting you in person at the drive-in, eh, Giles? Yeah, exactly. I can't, I can't believe we've not met. It feels really strange, isn't it? I think we did once. I think I ran past you uh, in Soho, <laughs> and I think Dean was just about to start meeting with you. Oh, okay. Right. So we might have waved yes. or said something. Well, like I think you were too busy thinking about the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I can probably see you on <laughs> probably yeah probably um so where can people find the movie where can they follow it to give us some uh rundown of you Great guys as films. well uk is the the website domain yeah. um that's where all the venues will be announced um we're obviously on social media as well on facebook twitter and yeah i mean mostly on facebook and um instagram it's break films uh break uk film and then um, that's in capitals and then lowercase on Instagram. All the information is on our website, which is greatfilms.co.uk. Great. I'll put a link to that in the show notes so Thank you can you. find and, and that's it. where you can get tickets for the other venues as well. Uh, and, and with our drive-ins, I think, you know, some of them we've got other films like Grease and, you know, some of the classics as well that we're going to be putting on as part yeah. of the event. Um, so all that all those details will be on gorgeous so thank you so much for listening you guys are amazing as i said at the start of the show i would give shout outs to some amazing people this week and last week who have amazing projects or whatever and if you have one if you've got a kickstarter if you've got a film that's coming out 
let us know at Filmmakers Pod and we will shout it out for you. So shout out to this week. Go to some amazing people who've supported us this week and last week. Ronya Mann, um, Peter Story at Greenlit, Kelvin Dale Greaves, Mel Lebowski. Uh, she's at Mel would prefer not to on Twitter. Uh, Jonathan Russell, who is the producer of The Droving. Thank you, buddy. And Carl Marsh, who's also given us lots of love this week for Arthur and Merlin. Thank you very much. Other shout outs go to production company Harpy productions who have just started their audio drama series it's really cool check it out on youtube if you haven't already my father punished me when i talked to ghosts it's really cool it's really well made it's free it's on youtube go and support katie and the team at harpy productions link to that is in the show notes and also huge shout out to my sister's pals um, at innovation productions they normally do events and obviously they can't do events at the moment so if you're a filmmaker based up north anywhere near Leeds that area they have a studio space you can use you can build in it if so if you're a filmmaker and you want to make a film right now get in touch with innovation productions link to that is in the show notes they've got lights they've got equipment they've got a studio ready to go plus they're really cool people they're friends with my sister. How could they not be? Uh, thank you very much. That's this week's shout out. Do get in touch if you want yours read out. And another reminder to let you know next week's episode is with Matt Escandi, who tells you all about working with Bruce Willis in his brand new film, Survive the Night. It's the second time he's worked with Bruce. Third one coming up as well. So he really gets under the skin of working with Bruce Willis. And you can listen to that. How to work with a megastar. That is next week's podcast. That is next week's Filmmakers Podcast for you. Remember, you can go out there and make your indie film. You can make it happen as the break team have done. Work hard. Uh, look at the stars. Don't look at your feet. And remember, if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday. As always, thank you so much for listening and spending your time with us. Go make your film. Make it happen. Thanks, guys. Say bye. Thanks, Giles. Bye. Take care, Charles. everyone. Bye. bye.